Friday morning, I came into the building and I bumped into the church cleaner, a lovely young man. His name is Henry and he comes from Nigeria. And I just felt prompted to talk to him. And he opened up and chatted to me. Not too long, because he's here to clean the building, obviously. And um, through that, heard that he didn't really know many people yet around the city. Uh, he's got various cleaning jobs. He's a student at um, Queen Margaret. And um, I just felt prompted to say to him, do you play football? He said, I love to play football, but I don't know anybody to play football with. Bing! <laughs> Would you like to come and meet the central football team? He said, I'd love to do that. When are they playing? I said, tomorrow morning. Let me pick you up. So he lives at Craig and Tinney Avenue, right over back of Craig and Tinney Golf Course. And these guys were playing uh, right, right near that. So I picked him up yesterday morning, took him along, and he came and he met all these lovely guys. They lost 8-1, okay? Which wasn't a very impressive thing, James, wherever you are here this morning. I thought you could have had a better result than that. But um, he chatted to the guys. Uh, he's going to try to get along. Uh, he's a defender, and he wants to play on the football team. And I thought, cool. Isn't that really cool? And, and I'm telling you that story because it ties in with what I want to talk to you about this morning from Ruth chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible on your phone, you might want to turn to Ruth chapter 2. Um, just before we look at this, I'm going to pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit is here. Um, we don't need to make you come, force you to come. You are here when we gather. And, but we just welcome you this morning. We welcome your spirit in this place. And now as we open your word and we open our hearts to your words, Holy Spirit, just come and fill this place um, with yourself and teach us. You are the only teacher, not me. Uh, we give our gifts to you. You are the teacher. You are the revealer. You are the one who speaks truth into our lives today. And I pray you will come right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are doing a series on this tiny little book called Ruth, hidden right in the heart of the Old Testament in a very perilous period of Israel's history called the Times of the Judges. And um, we haven't featured these two aspects yet, but I'm going to just mention them at the beginning. Underneath the word Ruth, you will see two words, refuge and redemption. If we go to the next slide, please. Um, this morning, I want to unpack these a little bit uh, for you. What do we mean when we talk about God as a refuge? We're going to see a bit, bit later. The Bible paints this picture of God as a refuge for people, a safe place that people can come and find shelter and salvation and hope and faith and love. And when the Bible talks about refuge, um, it sometimes uses the word stronghold or tower. Um, and it's thinking about a, a, a castle, it's thinking about a, a place that's been made that uh, is, a, is a safe place for people to go to. This was so important for God that in the Old Testament period, when Israel went into the land, he commanded them to form six cities, okay, five, six cities, called the cities of refuge. And these cities were strategically scattered all over Israel, and they were safe places. They were cities that people could run to and get refuge in if they were in trouble, if they were accused of something they didn't think they had done. They could go to these places and protect it. 
And uh, right through the Old Testament, this was a concept that was very, very powerful. So today, we're going to think about what it means for God to be a refuge. The other word is the word redemption. I'm not going to talk about this this morning. Uh, but if we think about redemption in the next few weeks, I want you to keep this picture in your mind that when the Bible talks about redemption, it's this idea of setting people free, of breaking chains, of liberating people. That's the idea behind redemption. But people experience that freedom, that redemption, only, first of all, if they find a safe place. And without that safe place, that refuge, people usually don't go on to experience redemption. And it's the same in our lives today as Christians, same in our lives today as people. We will experience God's liberating power in our lives, setting us free from the things that bind us if we find a safe place in order to discover that. Let's move on. <clears throat> Next slide, please. Um, so I want to set the context. Um, when you watch a TV series, uh, most TV series will have a little preview at the beginning. You know what I mean? So six-part series, unless you live in North America when it's a 16-part series and 56 episodes. But most have got a, a six-part series. And at the very beginning, they have this two minutes. What just happened? And we need that, okay? Maybe you've started in episode three. Someone's told you about this TV series. You say, oh, I'd love to watch that, but it's already up to episode three. It's on tonight, and you watch it, and you haven't got time to watch the first two, and so you watch the preview. It gives you a taste of who are the main characters, what happened last week, and who's this person that you're going to meet sets the scene. Most of, you, most of the times, we go back and watch those anyway. So this is my two minute, not even two minute preview. Two weeks ago, Andy gave us a message on the first scene, the first act in this story, which was about famine. Set is, the scene is set in Israel. There's this family, this man and his wife, Elimelech and Naomi. They have two sons, Malon and Kilion. There's no food because there's a famine in the land. And they head south to the land of Moab, uh, an enemy of the nation of Israel. We'll come to that in just a minute. Scene two, last week, Zach was preaching, and the famine is over. There's bread back in the land of Israel, and Naomi decides to go home. However, during the 10 years when she's been in Moab, she's lost her husband, Elimelech has died, and her two sons, Malon and Kilion. So she's left with two daughters-in-law called Orpah and Ruth. One stays in Moab, and Ruth decides to go back home. So that's what's happened so far. A, a dangerous time, as Andy said, the days of the judges, perilous time to be alive, time of famine, and returning home. And, and Zach set the scene for us last week with the question, what will happen next? What's going to happen when this lady, these two widows, the elderly lady Naomi and her daughter Ruth, get back to Israel? Now, I know you are all great Bible scholars. You've probably read the book of Ruth. You know how it goes, and you know the outcome. So I want you to pretend this morning and go with me, if you can, that you don't know what happened next. I know that's hard if you've read the story, but please work with me. And maybe a fresh perspective will come to you this morning. Now, I can relate to this, okay? Because this is the second time I have preached in this amazing church. First time was very different. I was preaching here back in January, hopefully you remember that time, and um, I was feeling incredibly nervous. Uh, not because I have anything to fear from you lovely people, but I didn't know how it was going to go. 
I felt that I'd spoken quite well. I got to know people. People gave me a lovely either handshake or even some give me a hug. I thought, that felt good. But I didn't know, were you going to say yes to me? Were you going to call me or were you not going to call me? Now, you might think, Don, it was no problem. We really liked you. But I didn't know all that. Okay, so we go back to Glasgow and we're thinking, how did that go? think it went okay, but they've got a vote in three weeks' time. Okay, what other, uh, don't know many churches that will operate with that, but that's how you Baptists do it. So I had to wait for three weeks and you had your church meeting. And that Sunday of your church meeting, my knees were shaking. Okay, there we go. I'm just telling you because I'm just opening up to you this morning. So I'm human. And I was nervous and I was waiting for a phone call from Eddie Backler. What would it be? What would the news be? Would it be a thumbs up? Or would it be a thumbs down? Were they going to accept me and welcome me? It's this Irish guy from Glasgow. He's into football. He's not into rugby. Are you going to accept me or not? I didn't know that. Okay. And so I came. And when the call came, I breathed out this massive sigh of relief. Okay, they're going to accept me. And um, maybe, in a much greater way, that's what Ruth was thinking. Here she is walking back to Israel. She says, I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. And Naomi says, come with me, Ruth, okay? But I can't guarantee how they're going to respond to you because you're a a widow, you're a a Moabite, and you're poor. So let's jump into the story, Ruth chapter 2, find out what happened next. Text says as following, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing called Boaz. He was from the clan of Elimelech. So it introduces another character. Okay, and again, they're preparing for what's going to happen next. Okay, this man is going to be the key character in these next few weeks as we're going through this story. Boaz, God is introducing him through the the author into the text. Then Ruth the Moabite, notice how she's described, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up some of the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. This word favor is going to come out several times in this chapter. It's the um, idea of uh, kindness, grace, favor, obviously, uh, even welcome. This is going to be Ruth's sin. Will I find favor? Will somebody actually uh, care enough for me to let me work in their fields? In case you don't know, just very briefly, it was the time of the barley harvest. Zach mentioned that last week. So probably March, April time, same time as Passover. The first, the early harvest, the barley harvest was going to be picked up. And what they would do is they would go out in the fields, obviously, they would cut some of the barley, they would gather it in sheaves, and they would take it into their storehouses. But there would always be sheaves lying around, okay? And they were told to leave those. We'll come on that for a moment. And so that's what the girl's going to do. She's basically almost like begging. She's coming, and she's going to see if she can get some food, enough food, to at least provide a meal for her and her mother maybe for that night, maybe for a couple of days, if she's fortunate. That's what she's trying to do. She's um, in that situation. Just then, verse 4, uh, sorry, verse 3, Naomi said, Go, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field belong- that began and began to glean. As it turned out, and the text does this so often in, in, in the book of Ruth, as it turned it just so happened that she is in a particular field belonging to Boaz. 
Now, again, imagine she's going up. She could go to that field or that field or that one or that one. She has no idea who these people are. And she goes, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go to that field. Don't know why. I'm going to go to that field. And she starts to work. But as it happened, again, you see what God is doing here, working behind the scenes to bring Ruth into contact with Boaz and ultimately to change her life And those of us who've been Christians for some time, we can look back over the course of our lives. I don't have the time this morning, but hopefully I'll be here for a few years and I can share some of my story with you of the times when I say God showed up at that moment. Here's what he did. And we can all do that looking back and see those times when God was at work many times when we least knew or expected he was going to do it. As it turned out, verse 3, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Just then, there's another one of those moments. At that very moment, as this girl is in that field, Boaz shows up, arrives from Bethlehem, and greets the harvesters with the words, The Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you, they answered as well. So what's the author doing? What's he trying to do? First of all, he's trying to give us a picture of what this scene is like. Now, remember Andy said these were dangerous times. These were the days of the judges. There was violence. There was apostasy, which means people turned their back on God, rejected God. Enemies, enemy nations came in and, and um, treated the Israelite people with, in a horrendous way, killed, raped their women, stole their food, destroyed their homes. These were the times. And in this violent period, there's a little patch of green space in Israel, in the barley harvest, with a good man who actually cares for people. Imagine you came in this morning, and you're a stranger to this church, and Andy's up here at the front. Andy wasn't very nice to me. I know that would never happen, okay? I know that that is impossible. But imagine you would think, well, Andy was a bit rude with Don this morning. I mean, did you see the way he spoke to him? He didn't even acknowledge him. He didn't even pray for him. He's like, right, up we come, your chance, off you go. You go, what a rude man that Andy Harding is. Why would I ever sponsor him to do a half marathon? But he's not like that, I can assure you. He's a wonderful human being. Wonderful. Okay, imagine when Andy says, Don, the Lord bless you. And he did. He blessed me. He prayed for me. And I said, Andy, the Lord is with you. I can see that. You would feel relaxed, wouldn't you? Go, these guys are friends. This is a good place. That's what's going on here. God's trying to show us that this is a safe place for this young girl to come to. Let's go on to the next slide, please. Here's the deal. I've mentioned that Ruth was from a place called Moab. Bible says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, Psalm 46, verse 1. But is that what Ruth is going to experience? She's different. She's a widow, she's a poor widow, and she is a Moabite. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean that she was from another country. She was a foreigner. The Moabites were actually related to the people of Israel. They came from a man called Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Lot had two children. One of his children was called Moab. So they were actually related, distant relatives. They should have been friends. When the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were coming back to the promised land, once they came to the plains of Moab, instead of being welcomed, the Moabites cursed them. 
They didn't just curse them. They hired a man called Balaam. They said, curse these people. We don't want anything to do with them. So they really mistreated the people of Israel. And as a result of that, just go on, please, God said this in Deuteronomy 23, no Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord until the 10th generation. God says, I haven't forgotten that. You're supposed to help your brothers and your sisters. You're supposed to welcome them. You've excluded them. This is really important because of what's going to go on in Ruth chapter 2. They had rejected and not shown welcome. Now the people of Israel are going to welcome Ruth, the Moabite, the stranger, the foreigner. There's history between these people. Let's move on, please. Last week, Zach was talking about this lovely word. He taught you a Hebrew word. I hope you have been practicing it this week when you in the bus, when you go to your workplace. Hope you've been saying it all the time, teaching your children if you've got children. And before you go to bed, if you are married with someone, I hope you're going to share this beautiful word, hesed, hesed, hesed. As Zach said last week, this is the word that describes God's love. Our English vocabulary is so limited. We have the word love, but in Hebrew, hesed meant unconditional love. It meant an enduring commitment and a loyalty to the person, and it meant generosity. And we're going to see these three things this morning shown to Ruth. Unconditional love, an enduring commitment from Boaz to her, and incredible generosity that, that just absolutely blew her mind when she saw how she was treated. And that's because that's what God is like. Yahweh, the Lord, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. He is abounding. He is full, overflowing with steadfast love and faithfulness. Let's move on, please. So let's find out, how did Ruth experience this amazing, incredible, unconditional welcome and acceptance and love from God? She experienced it through Boaz. And we're going to come to this in the end, but as a church community, we are here to welcome people, to embrace people, to include people who come into our church, whether it's our gatherings, our communities, or even people that we know. And many, many times, people will read us, God, our understanding of God, through how we treat them. We are either the greatest uh, witness to who God is or the worst witness to who God is. Churches can be incredible ways of welcoming people and showing God. Churches, unfortunately, can be places where people come and they go, if that's what their God is like, I'm never going to come back again. And so here she is. She encounters God. Number one, she enters the community. She goes in the field. She works alongside Boaz's workers, and she starts to work with them. She enters the community. This is really important. God says this in, in his words. Just move on, please. <clears throat> when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Then listen to this phrase. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. Ruth met both of those criteria. She's poor and she's a Moabite. I am Yahweh, your God. So God says, you do this. When you go out to make your money, when you get your pay, in modern language, when you come back with all the blessings that I give to you, 
Don't think, don't keep it all with yourself. Don't hold on to what you have with a tight grip. It doesn't come from you, it came from me. Even where you work, I bless others so that you can be blessed. Everything in your life ultimately comes from God's. God says, I am your Lord. I gave you those fields. I gave you the rain. I make the crops grow. I gave you the sunshine. I gave you everything that you have. Make sure you are not selfish. Make sure you're not holding on with a tight fist to everything you have. Leave behind for the poor and the foreigner because I'm your God. And if you do, they will see that I'm your God. And they will see what kind of God you worship. And if you don't do that, and many, many times in the Old Testament, the people of Israel became selfish and hard-hearted and held on and exclusive and said, get out. We don't want you here. This is all about us. So let's go on. Ruth, first of all, was accepted into the community. Secondly, she was noticed. Boaz, verse 5, says to the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? He noticed her. She wasn't the only one. There were many women there, but he noticed Ruth. Notice what they said. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite. Ah, ah, she's a Moabite. She's different. She's a foreigner. She's not like us. Maybe Boaz knew his biblical history and knew what the Moabites were left. This is really significant. She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She's been gleaning among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest. Boaz notices her, takes time. Later on, Ruth says to Boaz um, in verse um, 10, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? He could have ignored her. He had every right to ignore her. No one would think twice if he'd ignored her. How have I found such favor that you notice me? You see me. You know who I am. You know my name. You know I'm a Moabite. You know I'm poor. You know I'm a widow. You know I don't belong here, but you still notice me. This is why... I want to know your names. <laughs> Coming down in the car this morning, Kirsten and I were chatting about some of the visits I've had, and please, 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 I'd love to come and see some of you. When I have these visits, meet with you, I get to know you. I need, I want to know your names. And I want you to know a little bit about me, because I notice you, and you're important to me, because you're important to God. Number three, so she was noticed by Boaz. Number three, she was welcomed, included, and protected. Look at what it says Boaz does for her. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Notice what he calls her. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here. Same word that Zach introduced you to last week. When Ruth was tempted to go back home, it says she clung to Naomi. She held on to Naomi. Same word, Genesis 2, about marriage. We cling to one another in marriage. Same word. Cling here, Ruth. Stay here. Cling fast to my field. Don't go anywhere else. Stay here. Why? Because here you're going to be safe. Stay with the women who work for me. In other words, join us. 
Just become part of us. You're actually welcome here, and we're going to include you, not as a, a, a poor foreigner, but glean some of the stuff with my servants, Ruth. Join us in this barley harvest. And then he goes on to say this. He told the young man, young men, do not lay a hand on her. Do not strike her. So what he's doing here is he's, he's welcoming her in. He's saying, you're one of us. We're not going to treat you like a foreigner. We're going to treat you like one of our own hired workers. Okay? And I have told those guys, okay, you are a young, vulnerable, Moabite woman. Do not dare lay a finger on her. And I imagine Boaz, he's called at the beginning a man of standing, verse 1. The word literally means he's a mighty man. You don't mess with Boaz. Okay? Watch out for this girl. See what he's doing? He's including her. He's welcoming her. He's protecting her. And he's doing all of that without realizing, as he does this to Ruth, this is what God is doing. In verse 12, when he speaks to Ruth um, a bit later, he says, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to find refuge. And the word is the same word that's going to be used next week for what Ruth does when she takes Boaz's coat, she raises his coat, and she puts his coat over her. Same word, same word, protection. I will protect you, Ruth. God will protect you. You're welcome here. And then finally, point number four. He doesn't just welcome her, include her, and protect her, but she's actually received into the community, and she is blessed. This is quite interesting. In verse 14, at the mealtime, he says to her, come over here, Ruth. And she comes to his table. Have some bread and dip it into the wine. Ooh, now that's interesting, isn't it? He invites her to his table. Um, he takes some bread. He takes this bread and he dips it into the wine vinegar. And he says, have some, Ruth. You only do that to people who are part of your community. After we, I speak this morning and as we come back to worship, we're going to share communion. Remember what Jesus did? To Judas, took the bread, dipped it in the soap, gave it to Judas and says, you're my friend. I welcome you. Even you, Judas, I welcome you into this community. That is radical inclusion. Radical inclusion. Where Ruth is now no longer just a Moabite widow, but she's sitting at the table of Boaz and she's sharing bread and wine with him. She's part of the community. And then he makes some roasted grain and gives her a full meal. And then he says to the, the, the men, let her gather wherever she wants. Don't hinder her. Don't reprimand her. Don't rebuke her. And so Ruth, verse 17, gleaned in the field until evening. She threshed out the barley she'd gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. What's an ephah? An ephah is about 35 liters of barley. Or, if you're old school, 30 pounds, four gallons of barley. That's how he blessed her. Give her more. Give her more. Give her more. Give her more. Keep giving it to her. Why? Because that's what God is like. God doesn't say, come in and sit over there for a while, and then when I see you, when, I'm, when I notice you, I'll, no, sit right here. 
Sit in the front seat. James says in his book, if a poor person comes into your church, don't tell them to sit in the back seat. Don't make the rich people sit at the front. He says, don't do that. Make the poor person. Bring them right up to the front and treat them as God would treat them. That's what God does to Ruth. Oh my goodness, can you imagine when she went home that night? I have no idea how she got four gallons of barley home, okay? Drag it home, and she gets home to Naomi's house, and Naomi goes, oh my goodness, where did you get all that? She says, I worked for it. Where did you work? I worked in the field of a man called Boaz. Hmm, says Naomi. Maybe she didn't, but I'm sure she thought it. Boaz. Boaz, oh my goodness, Ruth, do you know who he is? That's next week's message. Let's draw this to a close. Application. So I have two takeaways for us this morning before I hand back to the team. Number one, I know that this is a church of inclusion. I have felt welcomed and included very, very warmly. My fears are gone. <laughs> my knees have stopped shaking. But I want you to imagine what if we went even more radical than that? What if this church became a church of radical inclusion in the city? Really radical inclusion in the city. Okay, just like Jesus. Why were prostitutes and lepers and tax collectors and sinners and people from other religions and people who weren't, didn't fit, why were they attracted to Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Because he was God in flesh. That's why they were attracted to him. And they said, this man loves me. He truly loves me. I feel safe when I'm close to Jesus. They may reject me. They may talk about me behind my back. They may point their fingers at me. They may exclude me. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus welcomes me. And we are the body of Christ in this city. And as we welcome people with our radical inclusion, people will come to find God. And I want this building to be full. I want the city to be full of people who come to know Jesus. I want other churches to be full of people too. And God to bless them as much as he blesses us. And I want the city to be a city. It's my vision. The city is a city where people truly see what the God of Israel is like. The God of Jesus. The God of the Bible is like. There's far too much religion in the city. And not enough reality of Jesus. And secondly... I see my good friend Tricia smiling as I say this. Oh my goodness, we need to model this and become part of a nation that welcomes the refugee and embraces the refugee. And we do that through sanctuary, where Syrian uh, women especially and their children are welcomed, given a safe place, where they're not just given food, but they're loved, they're listened to, they're treated like one of us, not different. What of our city? What of our churches? What of our nation? Instead of all the garbage that we hear on our TV sets, what if our nation became a city known above all the nations of the world as a place where refugees are welcomed? Are welcomed. Not kicked out somewhere else, but welcomed. That's the kind of nation I want to live in. So Lord, this morning, as we ponder these verses in this little book hidden in the Old Testament. This is a very, very relevant story for us today. God, help us to be a people. Help us to be a church. Help us to be a city. Help us to be a nation that welcomes people and, and truly includes people. 
and helps him to find a job, a home, a school, a life with dignity in this nation. And help us to be a church of radical inclusion, to become more and more like Jesus, so that when people walk through the doors of this building, they feel they've got a taste of heaven. And they see what God is truly like, and they are embraced just like Ruth was welcomed into that community. May we be this for Jesus' sake. Amen.